Well, we're in this series of top messages called Speaking of Heaven. And today we're going to be talking about what will heaven be like. Really difficult subject to get our hands around, but we're going to do our best to do so today. And as we get started, let me just say with you, share with you, um, there's a now recently retired pastor here in town, one of the pastors of our churches here in Oral Valley. And before he retired, he asked the nine-year-olds one day, he says, tell me what you think heaven's going to be like. And so he asked Brittany in his church, and Brittany had to say, this to say. She said, when you die, they bury you in the ground and your soul goes to heaven, but your body can't go to heaven yet because it's too crowded up there already. Now Martha jumped in and said, told the pastor, she said, you know what? You don't have to do homework in heaven unless your teacher is there too. <laughs> really? That doesn't sound like heaven to me. That's more like hell to me. You teachers, you never give up, do you? And then I love what Judy said to the pastor. She said, only the good people go to heaven. The other people go to where it's hot all the time, like in Arizona. <laughs> Kids have quite an imagination, don't they? But I tell you, there's one kid's description of heaven that has really sparked my imagination in recent years. And it was a little kid by the name of Colton Burpo. Are you familiar with Colton's story? Um, Colton was a three-year-old when he was diagnosed with the stomach flu. And for five days, he, they, his family thought he was suffering with the stomach flu, but it turns out he had appendicitis. Take a look at this. How old are you today? Me. And what is your name? And where do you live? In Nebraska. Who's your mommy? Who's your daddy? Daddy, Papa. <laughs> Who's your sister? Cassie. That was eight years ago. Looking at Colton now, you would have never guessed that he almost died in 2003. His father, Todd, tells about Colton's near-death experience in the book, Heaven is for Real. And he started throwing up into the toilet, you know, and uh, at first we're like, okay, he's got the stomach flu because the doctor said it was going around. Colton's condition only got worse as days passed. His doctor discovered his appendix had burst and infection was spreading in his body. Time was running out. And we knew we were in bad shape when they, they said, well, you need to come out to the hallway. They separated us from everyone else. And then someone came to us and started talking to us that uh, we got to have surgery on your kid. It was tough. Um, seeing your boy be lifeless when he was a very vibrant child. And it was at that moment that we were looking at each other. I remember my wife holding Colton in that hallway, just us. He's not even moving. We went to the surgery prep area, and I remember them hauling him away and him just yelling at me, Daddy, don't let him take me. Daddy, don't let him take me. And I went back to the, uh, uh, the pre-op room where we had left some stuff, and I was finally alone, shut the door, and I just broke down, and I was mad at God. I just frustrated, fed up. And I remember telling him, I said, God, after all I've done for you, and now you're going to take my kid? This is how you treat your pastors. And I was calling our prayer chain. I was calling anybody that would be on the other line to get Colton on the prayer chain because it was bad. We were there in the waiting room for an hour and a half, maybe. Then I remember the nurse coming out. Uh, is Colton's daddy out here? I'm like, yeah, well, Colton's up, uh, up in recovery and he's screaming for you. And I'm sitting there with him. 
And I remember my son in that room then looking up at me and goes, Dad, do you know I almost died? And my first thought was, maybe you overheard the nurse say that, or maybe they thought he was under anesthesia, you know, and, and he wasn't. But it wasn't till four months after we got out of the hospital that we finally listened to our son. And that's when the story really began. Over the next couple of years, Colton would say things to his mom and dad about what heaven's like. And when he would share these things, his mom and dad would look at him and say, well, what makes you say that? Or what makes you think that? And he'd say, because I've been there, remember? And it all seemed really cute until he started sharing some things about heaven that they just knew defied explanation. I'll share a little bit more about his story a little bit later this morning. You know, my son and I read this book a couple of years ago when it came out together, and it just really stirred our imagination about heaven and what it's going to be like one day. It led to some really cool conversations between father and son. I encourage you to read it if you have a chance. But you know, in the Bible, the book of Ecclesiastes says that God has set eternity in the human heart. I really believe that's true. It's like a homing device that God has put in each one of us to direct us toward heaven. You know, the monarch butterfly has this amazing ability to, you know, it it stays for half the year in eastern Canada, and then it finds its way back to the same exact spot in central Mexico every single year, and then it makes these treks back and forth and back and forth with perfect precision. This homing device, whatever it is that God's put into the little monarch butterfly, it works so perfectly, and for us, it's kind of like we have one of those as well, but it's always geared toward heaven. I mean, there are paintings in caves from thousands of years ago that depict this beautiful place where God is and where his people will go and live life with him forever. There's this thing inside of us that sometimes when we look at the things of earth, we say to ourselves, there's got to be something more than here. And we ask, what is heaven like? And we're going to look at that this morning. But first, before we dig into that, let me just start by answering this question. Why are we even discussing this? Why even talk about heaven? What's the point of having a sermon series on heaven? Well, let me tell you why we're doing this. Number one, because I believe there are some just real bad misconceptions about heaven and what it's like that I've heard over the years. Some people mistake heaven as boring and predictable, a place without adventure, a place where we're just going to be singing and worshiping all day, right? It's like the continuous eternal church service where we're sitting on clouds playing harps. And it couldn't be further, that couldn't be further from the truth. So others think, well, somehow by the time we get to heaven, we're just going to be absorbed into God and we're not going to have any identities of our own. And Scripture doesn't show, show that at all. Scripture gives us this good understanding of heaven. And when we start to understand what heaven's really like, what we start to realize is that we have a different perspective of even our lives here on earth. Things just don't, they're not the same as they used to be. I mean, over these last couple of weeks, I've shared with you stories of others who have had these experiences of heaven and they came back and whether we want to believe them or not, their lives are completely different as a result of their experiences. They look at every day and they think every day is precious. I don't want to waste a single moment because my time here is so, so short. That whole passage, for instance, about storing up treasures in heaven, it takes on a whole new meaning when you realize what heaven is truly like. Heaven also gives us a perspective on suffering that we otherwise couldn't have. When we realize just how stinking temporary our lives truly are here on earth, then we come to realize that no matter how difficult things are for some of us at times here on earth, 
in the scope of eternity, it's like this. It's like nothing, really. And lastly, we study heaven, and we are talking about heaven because God wants us to do so. Colossians chapter 3, we've been going back to that passage over and over again in this, in this series, where it says, set your minds not on the things of earth, although that's typically what we do. It says, set your minds on the things of heaven, on the things that are eternal. So with that in mind, let's go to the scripture. Let's look at the single most reliable source of clarity when it comes to heaven and the afterlife, a book that was inspired a long, long time ago and has been perfectly preserved over the millennia by God himself. And let's turn to the very, very back of this book, Revelation chapters 21 and 22. If you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you to turn there to the very last couple of pages of the Bible. Or if you have your smartphones or tablets, feel free to turn there in those as well. GraceTucson.org slash Bible will get you there. And while you're turning there, let me just share with you this. You know, over the last few weeks, as I've been digging into the scriptures and looking at this, these different stories about heaven, what I have found is so far, I have, I've actually counted 11 different accounts, 11 different people in scripture who, have share, who share in scripture how before death they experienced heaven in some way and they came back and God used them to share their stories with us. To help us to see what heaven is truly like. To debunk all the misconceptions that are there. We see stories from, about heaven from people like Jesus, uh, Ezekiel, Elijah, Stephen. There's so many. In fact, the story we're going to be looking at today is by a guy by the name of John who walked with Jesus when he was on earth. And he actually was known by many to be the closest person to Jesus on this earth. And what we're going to see as we read John's story of what heaven is like is this, that heaven is a place that is real. Yet it's a place that's kind of surreal at the same time. It's a place that's so incredible. So many people who have experienced it, including those who mention it in the pages of Scripture, it, it's hard for them to even describe it with words. It's so amazing. So what is heaven like? Well, it's an actual place designed by God. We know that. Let's look at verse 1 here of Revelation 21. John says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared, and the sea was also gone. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. You know, earlier in this series, I mentioned that the Bible says that there'll be a new heaven and a new earth one day. Now, this passage we're looking at is describing that new heaven and that new earth. So oftentimes when we look at this, these two chapters, we just assume that that's what heaven is like now. And we don't know that for sure. Maybe heaven is somewhat different now from what it will be when it's, when it's made new again and when it's recreated by God at the end of time. But what we do know from Scripture is that heaven is real, that it's a tangible place. It's not just some spiritual concept or state of mind. And Jesus makes that especially clear in John chapter 14. Let me share that with you. Uh, John 14, Jesus tells his disciples, Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. And then notice what it says in verse 2 right here on the screen. There is more than enough room in my Father's home. If this were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? Does that sound like a spiritual concept to you? No. When everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. Now, when Jesus shared this passage in John 14, this was his last night 
on earth. There were so many things that Jesus could have talked about in that last day and that last night he had on earth. But he chose, one of the few things that he talked about with his disciples was this. He wanted them to understand and to know and be comforted by heaven itself. You see, Jesus knew that that next day that he would be crucified, that he would suffer and die for you and I. And he also knew that there would come a time when his disciples would be martyred for their faith as well. All of them were, except for the apostle, for, for John, who was the one who wrote Revelation. And so Jesus tells them in that moment, he says, don't let your hearts be troubled. This stuff that you're going through on earth, this stuff that you're going to go through, it's just temporary. What I have for you will be eternal. And it will blow your mind. In fact, Hebrews 11 says that heaven is like a big city designed and built by God where God chooses to dwell with his people. Look at verse 3 there of Revelation 21. It continues... I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, Look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. What a comforting thought that is. New Philippians also says that Christians will go to be with Jesus, to be with, in heaven after this life is over. In fact, Hebrews 12, Revelation 5, they actually say that there will be rep- people from every culture and every ethnic group there one day. One of the things that's really interesting to me is Luke 10. Luke 10, Luke 10 describes what heaven is like by saying that there's this, this is the way John described it. He talks, it says that, you know, or Jesus described it, it says there's this book that's there. And in this book is listed all the names of people who will be there one day. Not just the people who already are, but the people who will be there one day. Some of you who accepted Christ at some point in your life and you've been, you've been walking by faith, did you realize that as we speak in heaven, your name is literally written down? They are anticipating your arrival one day. And Jesus is also there. We see in Acts 1, Acts 7, Romans 8, they all talk about how Jesus conquered death on the cross. And he is now at God's right hand. But let's continue on here look at let's see what what verse 4 says in verse 4 it says god will wipe every tear from their eyes and there will be no more pain or death no i'm sorry no more death or sorrow or crying or pain all these things are gone forever and the one sitting on the throne said look i'm making everything new and then he said to me write this down for what i tell you is trustworthy and true i mean can you imagine what John must have been experiencing that day is he is seeing heaven and he's just like, oh my, you know, just amazed. And then God's like, make sure you got get all this down. I want everyone to know from this point forward what you're seeing and what you're experiencing. It's amazing. You know, here, heaven is described as for what it won't be like. You know, we're trying to talk about what heaven's going to be like. Well, heaven here is described for what it's not going to be like, which I love. It's going to be a place of no more crying, no more decay, no more death, no more suffering, no more pain. You know, when we face the death of a loved one, staring into a casket makes us think about how much death takes away from us. But how often do we think about what life takes away from us? So oftentimes here on earth. In heaven, all these things will be no more. That also means there will be no more floods or earthquakes. There will be no more economic downturns or unemployment or homelessness. 
There'll be no more war or violence or rape or abuse. No more depression or anxiety. No more addiction. No more need for psych wards or prisons or drug rehab centers. We won't need any of that junk anymore. Heaven is a place of no mores. Think about it. All these things that have pulled us down, that have weighed us down as humans, they will be taken away from us, from us forever. And God says in verse 5, he says, look, I'm going to make everything new. Everything that you're used to, everything that you've experienced, you think, you think you're enjoying life now. You just wait for what you're going to experience one day. You know, many theologians have said that, we will, uh, that most of us won't look in heaven like we do here on earth. Because growing old is a function of the decaying effects of sin. And all that will be reversed one day, which I say, praise God. <laughs> Ladies, no more sags, no more bags, no more wrinkles, no more need for, for nips and tucks or Botox, none of that. I think that's awesome, don't you? you know, Aquinas, uh, one of the early fathers of the church, he, he theorized in some of his writings that one day in heaven we'll all look like we're about 33 years old. And he theorized this because he says that was the age that Jesus was when he was crucified, and that's the age of most of us as we hit our prime before everything just starts sliding downhill, Right? <laughs> And many people who have had these near-death experiences and told these stories, they all kind of say the same thing, that we all just kind of look like we're in our prime or we're ageless in heaven, which I think is awesome. But you know, as I see verse 5, I also think that about this, that heaven's going to be a major upgrade from earth. It's going to be a place full of adventure, of work and leadership opportunities. You know, there's two chapters in Matthew, Matthew 24 and 25, where Jesus describes heaven. And in the middle part of chapter 25, God, it says, God describes how he rewards people with responsibilities in heaven based on their faithfulness on earth. Now, Revelation 14 says that we'll all rest from hard work and toil from when we're in heaven. But that doesn't mean that we're just going to be sitting around on clouds playing harps with nothing to do, right? Revelation 2 touches on the authority and the leadership that he'll give some of us as well one day when we're in heaven. And you know... I often think, I often wonder if, I don't know if you've thought about this, if, if the jobs that we have here on earth, the responsibilities that we enjoy, the talents that we naturally gravitate toward, the gifts that we have in life, if someday we realize that God's given us all these experiences and all these gifts and talents because he's going to use them ultimately in eternity one day. I mean, what, think about that. In a couple of weeks, we're going to discuss what we're going to actually do when we're in heaven. But for now, let me just say this with absolute certainty. It will not be boring. <laughs> not for one second. Heaven's going to be a place where believers receive an inheritance, it says in verses 6 and 7. Or verse 7. Look at verse 6, though. It says, And he also said, It is finished. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To all who are thirsty, I will give freely from the springs of water of life. All who were victorious will inherit all these blessings. And I will be their God, and they will be my children. This verse 7 is describing this inheritance. And when you actually look at the opening lines of 1 Peter, the book of 1 Peter, what you see is this inheritance is described even further. It actually says in 1 Peter that our inheritance is actually being held for us in heaven, waiting for us to get there. Philippians 3 says that part of that inheritance is that we'll have citizenship in heaven. And in 2 Corinthians it says that until then we are ambassadors for heaven here on earth. 
representing God here to those who don't know him. Now, there are a lot of rewards in heaven, and you know, I mentioned several of those scriptures in your sermon notes today. I won't get into that in a great bit of detail because we'll talk about that in the last sermon of this series. Um, but, it, but the Bible says our citizenship isn't based on our... Well, our citizenship isn't based on our works here on earth. It does say that our rewards are. So, you know, think about this. We're taught from Scripture, from Romans, that we don't get to heaven. We're not saved by our works. We're saved by faith. But yet in Scripture, what it does say is that our rewards in heaven are based on our works. The things that we do, to the extent that we love, to the extent that we love others well, to the extent that we sacrifice our time and our talents and our resources for others, to the extent that we invest in other people's lives rather than just in ourselves, God will reward us one day. What will those rewards look like? Don't know for sure. But lastly, let's take a peek at what heaven actually will look like when we get there. Now, again, we're trying to go off of what you know, flawed human beings have tried to describe with, with words to help us understand what heaven is like, which is kind of you know, imperfect. But let's take a look at, in chapters 21 and 22 here how he describes heaven. Because he describes it as a place of beauty and grandeur that just defies human description. John actually tries to describe heaven, and it sounds like a cube when you read about it. I mean, look at verse 16. It actually says that the heaven is, is the same height as, as it is length and width, which sounds like a cube to me. I, I don't know what that, you know, think about the, I don't know what that's going to be like. Just kind of blows my mind to even try to go there. He, he describes the gates and the foundations of the city and how everything shines brilliantly with light. Even the streets are, are, are made of gold, and it, the gold is so pure, it, it look like, they look like transparent glass, John says in verse 18. But you know what's so fascinating to me, honestly, is verse 23, um, where he describes the light of heaven. And there's three different places in chapters 21 and 22 where John just keeps going back to this. He just keeps talking about it because it just blows his mind. He says that heaven isn't lit by objects that God created like the sun or the moon because God himself is so brilliant that he just lights up everything. Imagine God is so radiant that that his light just shines through everything, including walls. Just light is everywhere. That means that there's no more night or shadows or darkness. That's gone. There's no need for lamps or any other kind of lighting, verse 5 says. It's amazing to think about. You know, when little three-year-old Colton tried to describe all that he saw in heaven to his mom and dad, you know, they thought it was kind of sweet at first. Colton's dad was a pastor, and even though Colton was very, very young, he's only three years old, as Colton started describing what he saw in heaven, his dad was thinking, well, he just kind of picked up on some of this from church. I mean, he probably heard some older folks talking about what heaven is like. He, he, has, he has an active imagination, right? But then Colton started describing what he saw, including the things that he could not have known that made mom and dad take notice. Take a look at this. It wasn't until four months after we got out of the hospital that we finally listened to our son. And that's where I got to see heaven. No, Jesus and some angels came and flew me up to heaven. I said, so Colton, what did Jesus look like? I knew that the first person I saw was Jesus. He was wearing 
white robes with a purple sash. And he just came down nicely and gracefully. Well, Dad, Jesus has markers. Dad, Jesus has markers. I didn't know what he meant. So I finally asked the right question, Colton, where are Jesus' markers? And he drops his toys down, he stands up, and he just points, Dad, they were right here. He takes his fingers, points to the palms, then he bends over and touches the tops of his feet and looks up to me. That's where Jesus' markers were, Dad. When I was in the throne room of God to start with, so I got to see what that looked like. I was upset because I didn't know what was happening. What God did is he used people that, people or things that I liked to calm me down. From there on, I felt better. And one day we're traveling together and he looks up at me and, Dad, you used to have a grandpa named Pop, didn't you? And I'm like, yeah, he's really nice. Really? Yeah, you used to play with him as a kid and fix work with him on the farm and, and shoot stuff with him. And I'm like, yeah, how do you know that? Well, he told me. A figure came up and he was Pop. He asked me, are you Todd's son? I said, yes. He said that he was his grandpa. So that's where I met him. Yeah, Pop, uh, I was very close to him. And he was my most significant male role model when I was a kid growing up. A kid, But he was killed in a car wreck before I turned seven. Um, I was busy paying bills again, because um, that's um, my job, and he came up and told me he had two sisters. Well, he had to say it several times before he finally got my attention, and finally I put myself down and looked at him and says, what do you mean you have two sis sisters? No, I have two sisters. You had a baby dying your tummy, and I just looked at him like, well, how do you know you have two sisters? Well, she told me, and then he proceeded to describe her. She looked like Cassie, but she had brown hair. And first time when she saw me, she just came up and hugged me. We knew this was true, because he said, she kept hugging me. She wouldn't stop hugging me, Mom, and I didn't like that. Well, I'm not really the hugging type. <laughs> I had miscarried the weekend of Father's Day weekend, which made it even rougher. And we thought we'd dealt with it. We got over, we accepted that the baby had died. But when he said he had two sisters, I was... I think I was in shock first and then trying to realize, what is he telling me? And so I knew that he had seen her and after he described her, and he says, she's just, she just waiting for you guys to come to heaven. You know, as we talked about heaven and he was telling me all these wonderful details, I just felt like I had to ask him, did he want to come back? I knew that I was leaving heaven because Jesus came to me and said, Colton, you need to go back. Even though I didn't want to go back, he said that he was answering my dad's prayer. I remember that prayer, that irreverent, that disrespectful, screaming at God prayer. <laughs> I was like, he's answering that prayer? Today, Colton is a healthy 11-year-old and shares his heavenly journey with boldness. I learned that heaven is for real and you're going to like it. <laughs> I think he's right. You know, we're just here on this earth for such a short time. One day soon, the toils, the pains, the disappointments, the loss will all be just a distant memory. Think about, thinking about heaven reminds me to not waste a single day that we have here on this earth because they are so short. Do not miss a single opportunity that God gives us here because those opportunities give us the chance to love others sacrificially and to store up treasures there in heaven that will be eternal. 
Others may forget what we do for them here. Heck, we may forget what we do for people here. But God says he doesn't forget. Each choice that we make to show Christ's love here will not only enrich our lives here, but will enrich our lives there for eternity. Heaven is for real. And it's something that we can all look forward to. And at the same time, heaven is something that we can give a little piece of to others every single day if we choose to. What could you do this week to give someone that you know a little piece of heaven? Maybe there's somebody that God is going to put on your mind before you leave here today. Someone that's a part of our community at Grace. Someone that maybe is in town. Someone who maybe lives on the other side of the world. And, And God's just going to put them on your hearts this week, maybe even today, and ask you to show the love of Christ to them in some way. Are you willing to be sensitive to God in this time that we have here on earth every day and listen to God and say, God, how do you want to use me today to love others? In those moments, we are storing up treasures in heaven and we're enriching the lives of all those who are around us as we prepare ourselves for our future home. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time today in your word and we thank you for this peek into what heaven is truly like. God, I pray today as we um, spend some time reflecting on what what we've seen, Lord, that you would help us to just, Lord, alleviate those fears and concerns that some of us have about death. The death of a loved one or even our own death someday. Lord, sometimes it's hard to think about these sorts of things because we think about the loss we've already had and there's just this sense of dread there but God I I pray that we would as we go through this series that you would just eliminate all of that that you would replace those feelings of dread with feelings of hope and those feelings of loss with feelings of anticipation for what we're going to gain one day Lord, I pray even now for Elaine as she's struggling right now in her body. Lord, I just ask that you would touch her. And Lord, we thank you for this opportunity to be here today. We thank you for this chance to come to know you for who you truly are. Lord, forgive us for those moments where we get so wrapped up in ourselves and our own lives that we miss what you're saying to us. In Jesus' name, amen.